too many of us are still operating in spiritual survival mode. And what I mean by that is we are walking around society still carrying around so much of our hurt. We're walking in our everyday, reacting to the past and thinking about everything we lost. And we don't have any space to actually dream about what we want now. And we also have no idea how to get unstuck from these spaces. Well, my friend, I want to tell you that you don't have to do it alone. I am launching a spiritual recovery group at the end of this month. It's a 12-week program to take you and 20 other people from spiritually stuck to truly liberated in the most delicious sense through spiritual practices, things that I've done with my clients over the years that have proved so incredibly effective. And it all starts October 24th. So if you're into that, go to thekevingarcia.com slash cohort to find out more. Love you and we'll see you soon. Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin, and I am so thrilled to be with you for another week. It's a lovely, lovely time to be alive, isn't it? This week, my guest is the scholar, speaker, and thought leader, Brad Onishi. He's a social commentator, a scholar, writer, teacher, coach, co-host of Straight White American Jesus, a podcast that is exactly what it sounds like. In everything he does, Brad seeks to make the strange familiar and make the familiar strange by providing insights into life's most fundamental questions. He often speaks about topics related to the radical conservatism and extremist religions that shape our world, specifically the evangelical Christian nationalism that is coming right to our doorstep here in America. His show, SWAJ, ranks in the top 50 of politics shows on Apple Podcast Charts, ahead of programs like NPR, The New York Times, and other national news outlets. And in this podcast, we're also talking about his newest book, Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next, which is coming out January 2023. Uh, I loved this conversation. Me and Brad have known each other on the internet for a long while, and it was so good to finally sit down with him and connect with him, but also to talk about the reality of Christian nationalism and the scary shit that we've got going on here in the United States. So take yourself, uh, you know, your take your meds before listening, but grab yourself some coffee and allow yourself to enjoy this lovely conversation with my friend Brad Onishi. Welcome to the the show. I'm glad you're here. I don't actually think you and I have ever actually sat down and had like a real ass conversation either, even though like we've been in each other's orbit for a bazillion years. And so this is, feels very nice to me. Yeah, I feel the same. It's great to be here. Yeah. So um, we're in a series that I'm calling What the Fuck America to <laughs> just kind of like process some of my own feelings about what's going on, as well as hopefully give some language and clarity for folks who are also asking the same question. But before we get into that um, and your new book, which is forthcoming, which I'm very excited about, how do you, Brad Onishi, introduce yourself to people right now? Well, uh, you know, co-host of Straight White American Jesus, uh, which is on a reverent, just like uh, just like this show Ooh. and other great shows. Uh, I teach at the uh, University of San Francisco, so I, I teach uh, part-time there, philosophy and religious studies. And yeah, 
new book coming out, so I like to write things, and those are kind of what I do: podcast, teach, and write. That's so sick. Like, <laughs> it's also very fun to see all of like my friends who are like in like the same sphere. I was telling somebody else this the other day. I'm just like, when one of us wins, I feel like we're all really, I don't know. It feels so like I don't know. The world feels a little bit less competitive since I've hit my thirties. I feel like I, this is a tangent, but like I just turned. I turned 40 a bit ago and I feel like 30s, like 40s is good. And don't get me wrong. I'm happy. I'm like super stoked about so many things, but those 30s, man, those, you know, it's not the 20s. It's the 30s that are just, they're just like super fun and life kind of starts to make sense. You get in a little groove and it's just, it's good. Yes. I'm going to affirm that. It is, <laughs> it is true. 30s. I mean, I'll never go back to my 20s. That was yes. a shit show. Right. So it's one right? of those things where it's like, just by mere comparison, I'm thrilled to be where I am because it's like, okay, so now I understand hopefully how to make some money or at least how to not accumulate more debt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not even that I'm really making a whole lot of money now. It's just, I'm finally making enough to where like, I'm not like overdrafting. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. a cool feeling. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Hashtag 30s, right there. Hey, it's, it's having enough money to pay your rent and go get beer with your friends. Um, Who knew? So um, you host this podcast called Straight White American Jesus on Irreverent Media. Everyone go subscribe right now. Also, like, it's it's delicious. Like, you really kind of cover what's going on in this kind of, like, a very interesting niche. But it's also, like, not so niche anymore. Like, it's almost becoming, like existential threat so a tell me about straight white american jesus to what have you been covering recently that has made you just go oh no or hmm so straight white american jesus started 2018 you know like all of us we were all trying to cope with what seemed like the trump administration's attempts to take down our country and democracy and so on and so talked to a friend and said, look, you know, we are both ex-evangelicals and we're both now professors of religion. And so maybe we can do something that's like an insider scholar point of view, right? Like there's a bunch of shows that are insider shows that are like helping people um, deconstruct and process. And those sh- that that is amazing and essential and and so helpful and, and, and so on. There's a lot of shows too, or there's a lot of people at least who are like journalists or like you know, profs who cover this stuff, but they've never lived it. Like they see it from the outside. Mm. They do the interviews. They, they, you know, watch the clips, they read the they, books. They but see it as a phenomenon, not a lived experience. Totally. Like never, never been inside. And so we just thought, Hey, can we, can we do something that's both? And, you know, look, if people listen great, if not, it'll be cathartic and we can like work through some of our stuff. And so unfortunately, as you mentioned, it's over the last three, four years, it's become more and more relevant to talk about things like Christian nationalism and all the ways that uh, evangelicals and Catholics and so many other religious groups are sort of attempting um, political domination in the country and uh, the ways that it's unfair and marginalizing and oppressive to so many other uh, people in the country. And so that's what we do. Uh, we it's, it's the kind of show I think that sometimes folks <laughs> start listening to and then act, like after a month they're like, I need a break because... This is depressing. It's really depressing. I'll see you guys in a month. You know what I, I mean? It's heavy. Yeah. Sh- it's he- it's heavy shit. But someone's got to talk about it. It's like when people are like, "Hey, I listened for a while and then I need a break." I'm like, never offended. I'm like, yeah, just seriously, go, go take care of yourself. Yeah. And so, uh, in terms of stuff we've been talking about lately, that I think 
is just ultra. I mean, we we've just done a ton on on the overturning of Roe, which which of course I think is mm-hmm. just can never talk about enough and can never uh, dissect uh, enough. I also think that there's some things that are a little bit in the weeds for some folks uh, if they're not the kind of uh, you know listener reader who wants to delve into the the absolute details of politics, but. I really do think if you look closely at the primaries, if you look closely at some of the other moves that are being made, there's an attempt to make sure that uh, in a next presidential election, if things go back to, say, a vice president to certify an election or to state legislatures, that there's a plan in place to make sure that there's no way that uh, the Republican loses, whether that is through uh uh, alternative slates of electors, uh, state legislatures that can ch- basically choose their candidate despite how people vote, uh, and so on. So I know it sounds mm-hmm. kind of boring and it sounds kind of like wonky, but um, it really is like a slow-moving coup that uh, sometimes we we don't see because we're paying attention to Mar-a-Lago getting raided or uh, you know January sixth right. or, or whatever. So, and that's what I am also like highly afraid of myself. Um, and also, like, I was thinking, like, I'm, I'm getting my passport renewed right now because um, it expired over 2020. Um, because there's a big part of me that is scared about, like, what it's going to be like to be a queer person living in this country. And, I, and I, I get that. I look like a dude. I look like a white person. So, like, there's a lot of super big privilege that comes with that, et cetera, et cetera. And also, I don't pass as straight. Like I do not pass as as a straight man. Like my voice, like I would have to I could, maybe, but what's what kind of fucking life is that? And there's a part of me that's like, okay, so like do I need to make plans to like get out, to go somewhere else? Like Canada's looking I mean, I know Canada's got their problems, but they look in real, real friendly. I've had this conversation so many times over the last couple months, right? With friends and colleagues and people that are like yeah, I, I, I went to Amsterdam this summer, you know, and they kind of look at me like, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, or I went to like Toronto and it was, you know, or just got back from New Zealand and checked it, you know, and, and I guess I'm wondering if you feel like, like there's always been an impulse, right, uh, for uh, mm-hmm. for folks to, to try to get out of here because of violence, right, against queer people, against people of color, against black and indigenous mm-hmm. folks. And yet, I wonder if it's reached a a, 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 a like a, a a level or like a a set of um, rungs on the concentric circle where more people are considering it than maybe in the past. Does it does that make any sense to you? Yeah, I think maybe like you know when when uh, I was a freshman in college when Obama got elected, uh, and so like I was like, oh, this is gonna be great, um, and things you know, 2016 rolled around and I was just so confused. And then Joe Biden got elected. And I was like, okay, something is going to get back to normal. Maybe hopefully something's going to, and then it feel it just has felt like a, like five years of crisis or six years of crisis really. And like, that's truly like how it has been. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's to the point where like the signs are all there. I think like all signs point to, this is a big possibility. Like it's no longer outside of the realm of, it's no longer madness to say, it's no longer foolish to say, Hey, this could happen. Um, only because it's happened before. 
Like that that's the thing that people forget. Like Germany was a Christian nation uh, when they went into World War Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when they started rounding up Jewish folks and, and um Roma people and queer folk. Totally. So yeah. it no, I and I think I think the the way you put it there really hit me is it's been six years of crisis. And so everyone it feels as if, right, we've lived in a timeline where your nervous system just has to be on alert at all times, right? That there's no mm-hmm. sense of like um, just resting and feeling as if you're safe. Uh, there's always a crisis to be wary of uh, if you throw in env- environmental crises and, um, you know, uh, other things, other disruptions related to like, you know, food chain or uh, supply chain and war in Ukraine and, and invasion of Ukraine. Like, is there's just so many layers, I feel like, to the crisis on top of mm-hmm. the uh, the kind of like uh, white Christian nationalism and the just MAGA nation violence. So uh, it's it's hard. And I, I anyway, I, you know, when you said you're, the Canada's looking real good, it's like it's amazing how many – I don't know if – don't get me wrong, and I don't, I, I, I don't want anyone listening to to feel like I'm, I'm naive here. Like, there's been so many times I know folks in this country um, have thought, "Man, I wish I could get out," or "I wish I could go to a different part of the country." Like, for sure. But the amount of people in, uh, in this country who are now thinking, "Huh, maybe I can move to Belgium, Australia." Mexico City, well, baby. Mex- it's rated number one for great right? folks. Mexico City's just got like Americans everywhere at the moment, right? If you read about it, right? There's just like Americans all over the place in Mexico City. Just not something I think like my parents' generation would have ever imagined, right? Would they have ever imagined right. people uh, like us in 30s, 40s who um, are just having conversations every day with friends and, and others that are like, yeah, I might, you know, Quebec. Yeah, winters are tough, but uh, looking good, right? Mexico City, why not? Mm-hmm. Let's do it anyway. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a harrowing time for sure. And all that to say, also, if uh, make sure you register while we're talking about it, make sure you register to vote for your midterm elections, especially in Georgia. I'm, I'm working with the Stacey Abrams campaign, so I'm like, if we can get her elected, I might be able to stay longer. Yep, <laughs> you know, for sure. if you want to keep me in America. <laughs> You gotta help me get. get is that is that a Stacey um, Abrams commercial? Just Kevin, like, hey, if you want me, to, if you want me to stay, hi. vote for Stacey. <laughs> Do you want me to stay in Georgia? <laughs> like that's like I'm just I am literally a commodity that's what here. I, I'm a that's big what money I want. maker. I want I want to sign on to YouTube and like try to watch a video, but have to watch an ad from the Stacey Abrams campaign. That's just Kevin, like it's just saying, me. Staring yeah. straight into the camera as it like zooms in. You want slowly. me to stay or not? Okay, That's... vote for Stacy. Thank you. You know. Yeah. Um, depending on who you are, that might actually hurt. <laughs> but I think, um, um, I think more people like me than dislike I'll, me no, that right would, now. So I think that's a big boost to the campaign for sure. I received that. Thank you so much. Shifting gears ever so slightly, talk about you, your book, preparing for war, uh, the extremist history of white Christian nationalism, and what comes next i'm very very excited about this delicious book and why um it's going to be out in january 2023 so just after the new year's but i feel like it's like i'm wondering if they could push up the timeline (laughs) could we get it out like october like right before the like or something because it feels like feels pretty relevant to me (laughs) um but tell me real quick 
what's the pitch for the book? What are people getting into when they pull it? Yeah, a couple things. So one is, again, just that kind of insider scholarly point of view. So there's just a lot of memoir in here. There's a lot of like, yeah. Real quick, can you define what you mean by insider? Yeah, when yeah you say thank that? you. Uh, basically, just there's a lot of me sharing what it was like for me to live through uh, converting at a white mega church uh, at 14, you know, mixed race person. Uh, and then the mm-hmm. kind of like, what is, you know, I think there's a lot of people who have who have gone through uh, a kind of analogous uh, experience of living through white evangelicalism, living through uh, white conservative Christianity in some way in this country and everything that goes with that. And I think one of the things that I'm, I, I'm really interested in is when you're living through that, yes, you realize that when you deconstruct and, and you kind of leave that movement, you realize the toxicity of the, the theology. Right, the theology is uh, heteronormative. Right, it is queerphobic. It is often cloaked in, uh, you know, just toxic understandings of gender roles and marriage and love and politics and so many things. But I think what's more subtle is you don't realize that what has also been like if 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 you know the the body of the white evangelical is the canvas, which you don't realize has been also kind of thrown onto that canvas are so many stories of what it means to be a real American. So many stories of what it means to live in a country like chosen by God for a special role in world history. So many stories and so many myths of what it means to be a citizen and uh, someone who engages in the greatest country on earth and the kingdom of God and and the city on a hill all go together in this, this thing we call the United States of America. And so I really want to show that there's not only just like myths we don't see, but those myths are actually more insidious than we might even imagine, right? That they're filled with um, very, at times, explicit and very, at times, subtle uh, ideas surrounding segregation, surrounding race, uh, surrounding uh, immigration and xenophobia, right? All of that gets globbed onto uh, this kind of Christian story as it takes place in, in the United States. And so sometimes it's hard to notice. So why do I go into like my some of my story in the book? Because it took me so long, took me so long to kind of realize that as I deconstructed biblical inerrancy and other, you know, things like that, I was also deconstructing nationalism, xenophobia, white supremacy, queer phobia, and so on and so forth. And so that's a big part of the book. Um, the other part of the book is just a history of white Christian nationalism from the kind of 1960s till now. And one of the big arguments is that from the 60s forward, we've had a kind of counter-revolution, that if the 60s are a time when there is a civil rights movement and uh, various uh, queer liberation movements, various women's rights movements, uh, various uh, advances in immigration policy, it's also a time when most white Christians in the country look around and are like, "What do we need to get our country back. And they've been preparing for war since then, and uh, we're seeing the fruits of that come to bear now. Yeah. Because, like, that's the thing is, I, I think for those of us who uh, were, are from that world, who grew up in it, because I remember going to a fucking uh, March for Life as a kid, and that was just part of the deal. And I remember oftentimes talking about voting in church, because that was part of the deal. I often remember, like, honoring the troops and, you know, just, like, the whole, like, we're going to have, like, we had the American flag right next to the Christian flag. And 
being, you know, my grandfather was military, my father was military, and uh, thankfully none of my brothers joined. Um, I almost joined the Air Force because I, except for I was trying to be do the gay way of joining the Air Force, and by that I mean I was auditioning for the Air Force Jazz. Yes, band. yes. And I was trying to be the lead fucking vocalist on the keys in there, but they wanted a sexy little um, someone with boobs, ah, yeah, um, and no hair on their okay. face. I see. Um, and so I didn't didn't quite fit the bill. Um, they said I was good though, so that's <laughs> um, some good notes. But the, the thing is, just like I, I grew up in it, thinking that to be Christian was, I mean, they don't tell you this, but to be Christian is to mm-hmm. be American. Yep. And that's like through all of our schooling. And if you're any kind of different, it's like, huh? Yeah. Like people just like, they gawk at you. And so you get in line or you get, you know, socially ostracized. It's very subtle. One of the things I talk about, like you mentioned the troops in it. So I I converted at a church in Southern California. A lot of folks think Southern California is this liberal, you know, place. No, not a fucking yeah, bit, not, dude. And, and our friend Sarah Heath uh, can can tell some stories about that and, and others, but I still wonder why she lived <laughs> behind um, the orange curtain. Um, but behind, um, I didn't so I, you know, I converted this church and it's a Quaker church, right? So it's, you know, society of friends. And so you're like, Oh, I know about Quakers. They're into peace. They're into social justice. They're into egalitarianism. Right. And we, we didn't do any of that. They got rid of all that. And then they just brought in the like very generic, like Rick Warren kind of, evangelicalism like southern california evangelicalism so when you converted they were quaker and then they changed no they the 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 it, it's really weird uh if you go to my hometown it's where it's the hometown of richard nixon and quakers have been there for like 100 years and whoa in the 60s in the time i'm talking about they really switched from like hey all that cool quaker stuff you know like silence and listening and discernment and social justice and abolition mm. ab- abolition movements and hey all that they wanted to catch the holy yeah, ghost let's get let's like let's throw that out and then let's bring in rick warren with the hawaiian shirts and the purpose driven life and the whole james dobson thing and <sighs> i remember that and so by the time i get there that's what it is so here's my point is like i'm in ministry 7 years there uh when i get older we have a prayer meeting every tuesday 6am and at that prayer meeting, I went, I, I tried to go every Tuesday. Sometimes I didn't make it, slept in. But we mm. prayed for the troops. Like people would write in, please pray for the troops. And we prayed for the troops like, you know, 15 times, right? Every Tuesday. So we'd go around the circle and somebody had sent in, please pray for the troops. Please. Okay, we will. All right. Please pray for our boys. All right. To Quaker church, we in seven years did not pray for peace one time, right? N- not one time. Come on, somebody. And it to me, that's That'll right. Tell you. That, that's everything you just talked about in terms of troops and nationalism and being American is being Christian and being Christian is being American. How are you going to sit in a Quaker church for seven years at the prayer meeting and you didn't one time come across a prayer request? It's like, we pray for peace on God's earth and the stopping of violence everywhere. Not nothing, not one time did I see that prayer request. Coming to think of it, I've never heard that prayer request either. <laughs> Like the only t- the first time I actually heard somebody like say like you know we're going to send our love and intention for peace to all creatures who are suffering was in my yoga class. There you, there you go. You know, it wasn't until like I studied like Buddhist meditation that I started realizing, oh, this is the kind of prayer that I've been longing for my entire life, and I never found it in this other place because 
all we're doing is praying for the empire to continue to be the empire. And guess what? It doesn't need your prayers. It runs on your blood and your money that it's taking from you and your yep. labor. And oil. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We're really, like, we're just, this was sunny times. So continuing with the book yeah. a little bit, you don't have to give anything away unless you want to. I think I'll still read it. But when you think about like, and what's next, what is that? Because that seems to me like a ter- <laughs> kind of terrifying. I just also finished reading Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler. And so my, my imagination is in a very dark place yep. right now. <laughs> yep. Also, everyone go read that. It it's is so good. good. It's amazing. Um, I have a chapter at the end of the book that is about what's called the American Redoubt. And you're like, what is, a, what is that? So Redoubt means like refuge or safe kind of uh, terrain. And one of the things I think that that folks are always wondering is like, what what is the future, right? Is it and and what's going to happen in states like Texas, where these uh, extremist, uh, inhumane abortion laws are being passed? What's going to happen uh, in places like Georgia, right? If if this election goes differently than uh, than one hopes, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think I think there's so many uh, headlines uh, going towards the South and the Midwest for very good reason, right? Like. Maga Nation taking those places by storm. There's violence uh, against uh, so many people who uh, that group does not consider real Americans, people that they uh, don't want to see in in public and who they are trying to basically scare away. What does not get much headline is that the Maga migration has in some ways already started. And that uh, if you look at this movement called the American Redoubt, it is centered in Idaho but it includes uh, Montana, Wyoming, and then parts of like Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington on the on the other side of the Cascade Mountains from Seattle and, and Portland. The American Redoubt is a movement that is a Christian separatist movement that wants to build a theocracy in those states. It wants to basically have a, a Christian dominionist form of government and culture and, uh, and society and economy. And you might say, all right, we've heard this before. There are Christian separatists. We we get it. They're living in right uh, Appalachia or they're living in the Ozarks or they're they're, you know, they're somewhere and and we've heard this. If you dig into the American Redoubt, here's a couple things that you realize. One, um, they're making immense inroads into so if you just take Idaho, the state legislature, all of like if you look at various counties, especially in northern Idaho, surrounding Coeur d'Alene. They have basically been able to make deep inroads and take control of government in those places, such that this theocratic vision for the United States is taking shape. And you say, all right, that's great, Brad. It's Idaho. I mean, there are more people in, you know, the in the city of Atlanta than there are in like Idaho and Wyoming combined. Why are we talking about this? Well, the reason is, is Boise is the fastest growing city west of the Mississippi. Um, and who is moving to Boise? Like, who are the people moving to Boise or Coeur d'Alene or Eagle or other places in Idaho? They are Californians. They are Washingtonians. They are people who are leaving what they consider blue and quote unquote oppressive liberal states to join this uh, Christian separatist movement. And so something like 80,000 uh, Californians left uh, for, for Idaho uh, in the last year. Uh, 80,000? Yeah. Um, And so part of the book, like it finishes with this because, as I just mentioned, I grew up in Southern California. 
if I just showed up in Boise today, if I just got on a plane and showed up in Boise and I sent out as many invitations as I could via social media, hey, high school reunion, church reunion, let's do it. And a lot of those people don't talk to me anymore, but let's say they did. If I found everybody in Idaho right now, probably a hundred people that I grew up with, right? That I, that I went to church with or school with who have left, right? What people considered when I grew up, they were like, we live in Southern California. We have it made. We live in paradise, Disneyland, beach, sun, who would ever leave here? We're the best. Nobody ever thought of Idaho is like, oh yeah, that's my dream. My dream is to move to Montana. Oh, I can't wait. When I grow up, that's what I'm doing. The amount of people I graduated high school with who are now like, yep, finally got out of communist California and I'm raising my kids in a God-fearing place like Idaho. Uh, Like I said, triple digits amount of people. Now, last part here is like, well, all right, all those Californians and Washingtonians they must be making Idaho like more liberal because they're like from California and Seattle. I mean, come on, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the social science, they are making Idaho and these states more conservative. They right. have shifted government right because they view these these regions like Idaho, Wyoming, Montana as an open unzoned lot for them to build their theocratic Christian separatist movement. So they go there with the intention of creating a thing that they think represents the ideal of the United States of America. And it is already happening. You have, and and I can go into more detail. There's a whole chapter in the book, but when people ask what's next, I'm like, the MAGA migration is already happening. And I know you all don't pay attention, you know, to headlines from Montana or Idaho very often, but that to me is, is the canary in the coal mine. If you want to see the dream, there's the dream and it's already taking shape in those states. That canary died. <laughs> canary Dunn tweeted her last tweet. She been, she just skin and feather. She just bones and feathers at this point. And everyone's just like, oh, it's such a cute little canary. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Something you pointed out earlier, like this is something that people aren't paying attention to because what we're paying attention to is something like the January 6th hearing or the charges finally brought against Breonna Taylor's murderers or any number of things that we also need to be paying attention to for sure. This is is what's shitty about living in a six-year crisis where it's just, you got to pay attention to everything. Uh, This is, I guess, like relevant news. Mar-a-Lago getting raided by uh, FBI agents, which everyone's pointed out, is like, they don't just do that. They have to have like, Pretty sure fired clear, like, yes, we know that this is there before they go in. Otherwise, it'll be a big blunder, and they don't want to do that. And I just want to point out, this is the person Trump appointed. Yep, totally. Which I think is... But what makes me so sad, that makes not sad, but just blows my mind, is that regardless of evidence, regardless of what actually happened, reality in the minds of so many of these individuals is a non-issue. Like there's like no way for us to actually get on the same page ever because we're constantly like negotiating what actual, like reality. And, and when you don't have a shared reality, like it's it's hard to get anybody to talk or like at least get to talk about it in any way that's productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, think, I think there's, for me, there's two... Well, let's just talk about the what happened after the after the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the right wing, the right wing machine went into full 
you know, vengeful resentment grievance mode, as you would imagine. Uh, people like Steven Crowder said this is uh, tomorrow's war. Uh, Jack Posebic, you know, was saying, uh, you know, now is the time that our forefathers warned us about. Uh, there's Proud Boy saying, I'm standing back and standing by. I'm ready. So th- the the idea is, is that you search Mar-a-Lago with an FBI warrant. That is a declaration of war. That's that's essentially what has been. And that's uh, mm. that's clear to me. What you just said, I think, is huge, right? It's like we we have no shared reality. There's no ability to say, well, is there any evidence? Is there any reason? Is there a chance that the FBI had a uh, a reasonable set of conditions to do this? And I think it's not only like the the idea that we can't get on the same page because we don't share a reality in terms of like facts and evidence, and it's kind of epistemology, right? We don't have an epistemic mm-hmm. shared reality. I also think that we have Epis- assumption. Epistemology meaning how you know what you know. Totally, right? And so, you know, for we seem to be on different planes when it comes to that, right? I know, I, I feel like I know things based on a certain method, right? If, if something happens, I want to like see if there's evidence. I want to see if there's data. I want to mm-hmm. see if there are people who are experts in the field who are corroborating this and can provide insight. Others are not doing that kind of uh, that kind of method. They're operating on a very different one. I think there's also the problem of reducing the human condition to war and to conflict and basically saying it's us against them, me against you, and it's a zero-sum game. It's about right. winning and vanquishing. It's not about di- it's not about making space. It's about there being limited space and who's going to get it, me or you. And to mm-hmm. me, the Trump era uh, is, is not something qualitatively new when it comes to white Christian nationalism. But it has laid bare that zero-sum game for so many. Oh, you raided the the former president's house? That must be because you want war and you're trying to vanquish me. Well, guess what? I'm going to do this to vanquish you. There's no way to like make space or make room for discussion, dialogue, debate about what's right or good or best. There's no assumption that like the more folks that we include in our body politic, the heart gets bigger. And like art, right? Like there's mm-hmm. there's a way that you understand love and, and the human condition as the more we add, the more I expand and you expand and things mm-hmm. get bigger and 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 more uh, just wondrous and full of complexity and, and full of uh, just so many layers of what it means to be human. There's another assumption that's like, it's either me or you, we got a scarce resource here. So either I mm-hmm. win and you lose or you get me and I lose. We'll see what happens, buddy, right? And I think that's another way that we see uh, ourselves operating just on different planes when it comes to these kinds of events. And then my obvious, I feel like my thing is like, so what do I do about this? I feel like, the, I feel like there's also like, I mean, it's it's both like a, I'm in some ways, like I want to make sure that I can like live happily and survive and whatnot. And there's also, I think a little bit of like, I mean, it's one of those things where it's no, it's none of our responsibility to teach. It's like we're no, we can't convert everybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also, it's like, uh, well, then where does it, I, I think it's for one of those things where we're just like, okay, yeah, it's not everyone's responsibility to teach everybody everything. But some of us feel calling. Some of us feel a desire to engage in those ways with people who perhaps are our family or our friends or whatever. But something I found recently, or just even since I've come out, I'm just like, for whatever reason, my family can't or doesn't hear it from me. They can't or don't want to. And so I end up like exhausting myself 
Um, so I gave up a long time ago. I'm just like, they don't want to hear it. And so I, I, everyone's like, you got to talk to your family. I'm just like, and do what? And it's because it's like, if this is not, if this conversation is not going to result in queer people staying alive and black people staying alive and indigenous people getting their land back in yada, 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 I don't want to waste my time anymore. And that's what like, I hate looking at people who live in that world, you know, of separate from my reality, but it's just like, I don't have time to pull you back into the truth. Cause like in the meantime, like you're still like your buddies are still organizing against me. And I just, I, I throw my hands. I'm like, well, like I, the best thing I know to do is just get my people together, get my people gathered, get our people as safe as possible. And then I like, go back to like, didn't you just say that you wanted to leave the country earlier? And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> I contain multitudes. Well, and I, but I think that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that as contradictory. What I see that is like two impulses that you mentioned earlier, which are both really important. One is I'd like to survive and I'd like to be safe. So I may need to leave the country. And like, I think that just makes total sense that like, that, you know, people are thinking that. On the other hand, I think there's the other impulse that's like, how do I change this? How do I contribute? How do I help? And I think there's like two levels there, right? One is this very personal familial level where so many of us feel like years and years and years of just beating your head against the door, getting nowhere. Um, and so my advice, you know, to, to anyone who, who listens to our show is just like, look, if there are moments of of vulnerability, if there are moments of openness, of, of a willingness to listen, take those moments, right? Mm. And and see if there's a, a, a moment of uh, wanting to open the space up that usually is closed down. And if there is, take it. If not, again, you have to go back to, I think, what you said, Kevin, about like, I need to survive. I need to be safe. And I only have so much time so I'm going to organize, I'm going to teach, I'm going to do something. And I guess what I always tell folks on our show too is like, it is six years of crisis. It's like 75 crises rolled into a nice, you know, bundle. Uh, it's a bundle mm -hmm. package. If you sign up for uh, Hulu, you get uh, uh, Showtime show for free, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like 75 crises rolled into one. You can't contribute to fixing every one of those. So what is your thing? What is, what is, what is the time you have and what is the thing you're going to do? What can you help with? And then what are you going to, uh, trust that others will do and how can you support those others with, with whatever ways you can support them? But if we try, like, I guess for, I'm just speaking for me, if I try to tackle every crisis by some sort of form of organizing, teaching, contributing activism, I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to be safe. I'm not going to be somebody who can contribute anything. And then that doesn't help me or anyone else, right? I mean, I have leaned so heavily into my spiritual practices, not just as a manner of like survival, but just as like, it is a more peaceful way of existing here. And I'm finding that I need to like lean deeper into my practices. The more that crises seem to come up, the more that themes seem to get harder I believe that there is a call for us, not a call for us, but there's an opportunity to like say, okay, like how am, like if I'm here, here now, like, and that's the thing, just like you don't need to worry, like I have to remind myself of this. Don't worry about how you're gonna take care of yourself a year from now. Like, what are you gonna, like if you're not, you're, right now you're not okay. Right now in this moment, you're not okay. What are you gonna do right now to make yourself feel better, 
to bring yourself into equilibrium so that you can have a fucking coherent thought. Like your emotions are wonderful. It's good data. You need to respond to it, but you also need to get to a space where like you can think clearly because if you do need to leave, you should make, no, do that with a clear head. If you do want to stay, you should do that with a clear head. But like, don't, don't do anything based off of, um, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this to myself, don't do anything based off of your fears as much as possible. Is like acknowledge them as the facts that they are and then make a decision, but don't do it because I'm, I'll speak for myself again. I can't operate that way. And it is just more helpful to me to like, what is my one thing I do? I teach people how to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I yeah. try to keep myself centered and then hopefully by my peace expanding outward, it allows other people to find some shelter. I, I love what you said too. Like what you just said there really hit me of like, don't worry about being okay a year from now. Worry about being okay right now. And that just mm-hmm. seems so, like it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? Like, isn't it just so easy to be like, you know, I, I, I think there's this impulse of like, I want to be safe for the rest of my life. I want to be at peace for the rest of my life. I want to like live some, uh, I was telling a friend this, like you watch a, a commercial of some retirement, uh, like, agents like uh like retirement planning group and they're like by the time you're this age you could have this much money and like own a vineyard and have like three golden retrievers and live by a lake and drink your coffee and smugly look out the window every morning and like what a wonderful existence i've i've led right and i think Mm -hmm. the the like ruse there is like hey the goal is to have a a peaceful and safe and and happy life forever and so that's your aspiration whereas i think in many ways as you've just said we lose sight of like, hey, I need to be okay today. What is my practice for today? What is my what is my strategy for today to regulate, um, to return back to my body, and to get to a place where I can breathe and then focus on surviving and contributing. And it doesn't have to be a ten year situation. It needs to just be like what's what's in front of me right now. Yeah, and then I think that I think that's also like where I think like organizing work and like getting involved with political stuff, like that's how I engage is not, is like, okay, what's the next action? I was like, yeah, I want to make sure that people are booked. So right now, like it's text banking. That's what I know how to do right now. That's what I know is necessary right now because we turned Georgia blue. Yeah. There's an opportunity for us to continue that in that direction. Um, And so it's just, and I think that's also, I think, too oftentimes, and this is maybe just a polit- like this is a side comment. That's how I would, if I were a politician, that is also how I would organize my politics. Is not what are we going to do five years from now? What are we going to do to ensure the economy in ten years? What are we going to do to shore up that we don't, you know, hit the, the, the threshold? I'm like, we're going to hit the threshold already. It's like, what are we going to do right now? What can we do right now? And that I think, you know, what's the problem in our city right now? We've got too many homeless people. Like we have, I remember phrase that we have too many people who are without housing uh, due to their own, due to the city, like not providing the things that they need, even though like there's so much. We also have a housing crisis here because like private equity firms are buying up houses and disallowing people from buying houses that are like in the middle range. Yep. Um, yep. It's just, you know, these are the things I know to do. These are the things I know that I can focus on to say, okay, this is what's going to make a difference in my world today or in the near future. And if I, yeah, 
I've got the dreams. I've got the things I want to do. They're not here yet. What's right here? And that for yeah. me, like, uh, it's very AA. It's very one day at a time. Very 12 step. But it's like doing is doing is the answer. Like, so like there's, there's such a, uh, a mode we can get in, right? I'm just going to doom scroll. I'm going to be, um, totally deflated and dysregulated by all the crises, but what's the answer? The answer is, is to do something. And, and I, again, that's when I come back to like, if you try to do everything, you'll do nothing. But if, if, if you like, I love what you said. You're like, this is what I know how to do. And so that's always my encouragement to anyone who listens to my show. I'm just like, find a thing you know how to do mm-hmm. and do it. Right. And then yes. pay attention to everything else and support folks who are doing things you're not doing because you're doing your thing. And together we move forward together. We do our best. And as you said, it's not about fixing the world forever. It's about fixing things right in front of us that we see in our communities, in our neighborhoods, all that stuff. Yeah. Something you were touching on earlier that I want to pull that thread a little bit too, is that like, we're so afraid of suffering. Like we are so afraid of the pain that comes with acknowledging reality or like the things that we need to do that we would rather get stuck in the details than go after a solution and fail and feel more suffering. And I think that there are moments, I'll even admit myself, that I will become convinced all is lost. Um, And that's fine if I need to stay there for a while, but the truth, like the question for me is, like, what do I want to feel now? What would I like to feel next? And also just like, is it true? Is it going to last forever? Do I know that for a fact? The answer is no. I haven't lived enough to know. Um, But if I sit here on my ass, you know, just doom scrolling again, I know for certain that my feeling is going to stay the same. And I don't want that. That's literally like where I even move from. Like it sounds very, very selfish to care about how I feel first. Uh, But I think actually that's the answer. You have to care about how you feel first in order for you to gauge in anything else. Yeah, it's because if if you don't interrogate how you're feeling, how do you ever realize, hey, uh, what I'm doing here, doom scrolling endlessly, getting super, super, super full of despair. If you don't interrogate how you're feeling, how do you ever uh, recognize that those patterns and those habits aren't going to help you? And by extension, they're not going to help anyone else because you're just like doom scrolling and getting full of despair, right? And then you feel bad about the fact that you can't do anything because you're still... It's the, you got to break your own cycles, <laughs> you know? But, but it's not selfish to, to become in tune with what you're feeling because that's the only way you can become somebody who helps, uh, who helps anyone beyond yourself, if you ask me. I agree. My dog is currently tearing up her toy and she's like, I'm okay. going to make all the noise now because <laughs> it's my time. <laughs> and now we're coming up on time. And I always try to end my show asking five questions of everybody. So this is not exactly lightning round, but it's just five cues. You ready? Dr. Brad Onishi. (laughs) Um, You ready? Yes, let's do it. What's one thing you like about yourself? Uh, Just the the kind of uh, ruthless pursuit of what I think is the right thing to do, Uh, which uh, oftentimes in the past has kind of been a weakness, but... um, you know, resigned from my job recently, wrote a big resignation letter. And, um, you know, it, a lot of people are like, 
it's kind of risky. You're going to burn some bridges. And I'm like, well, people need to know what happened at this place. So here you go, world. Take it. And so um, I'm proud to, to be somebody who does stuff like that. You just pulled a Beyonce. You said, I just fell in love. I just quit my job. <laughs> you said, he said, just like, heard, heard, uh, heard Moda, like, you know, heard the new album, Renaissance, one time. And it's just like, yep, I'm out. I'm digging a new foundation. <laughs> Wrote um, the letter. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's you. You actually wrote that song. Uh, so yeah. that you won't break my soul. Yeah, the, royalty, the royalties are really changing my life at the moment. It's been, it's oh, good. yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you can move to Amsterdam, just like you put Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is not one of the questions. What's your, what's your sign? What's your zodiac? Capricorn. And that makes sense to me. Do you know your okay. other, your, your big three? No, I don't. It's okay. I want to, I want to like do the series where I read all my friends' charts and then just like tell them about their shit. Yeah. Um, but I, I love a Capricorn. My eldest brother's a Capricorn and like, I just vibe well. The pragmatism <laughs> is just lovely. Um, two, second question. What's one thing you're super proud of? You know, I, I'm proud of Straight Order American Jesus, uh, our show, because, um, we're not fancy. We're not like, um, you know, if you listen to us, we're kind of just pretty boring professor dudes, uh, who are not good at, I don't know, being being um i don't know what social media people or something and i'm just proud that like you know we we've been able to help people like i that's all you know people are like why do you do this work it must be exhausting it's like it is but like if we can help folks like figure out what they went through uh in their religious community or what's happening politically in our country then that's that's what i care about and um i'm 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 proud like you know you get a lot of emails a lot of white supremacists not happy with us and stuff like that but you also get emails from folks that are like, you helped me so much, or I never thought about it this way, and now I get it, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, proud of that. Brilliant. What is one thing that really pisses you off, or is just like a pet peeve? Um, I, this is going to sound like a really small thing, but it's a, it actually leads to bigger things. I, if I am waiting in line for anything, I turn into that person who makes sure that no one else, like, cuts in line, or like like somehow gets ahead when they shouldn't be like my partner will tell you like the, the amount of times at the movies where like, we're all waiting to get into like a big movie and like someone somehow like jumps ahead. And I'm like the person yelling like, Hey, you just cut a lot, you know, like making a big scene. And I, that has, I've always been that way. And it's like super embarrassing. And it's like, I have to tell myself like when I'm in a line, like calm down, you're okay. No one's cutting. No one's. And to me, I think that what that speaks to is like, my pet peeve is like unfairness. Like if, if somebody, right, like gets something they mm -hmm. don't deserve or is doing something in a way that jumps ahead of others in the group or, and then I just like all of my alarm systems go off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so- It's like, um, this is not fair. Yeah, it's just, I cannot breathe. I can't think. It's just like, you know, you got here after the person be, be you know, right there. You should be mm -hmm. waiting. What's your problem? Why are you being selfish? Or are you it's trying like, why to are like, you, Why do you believe that your time is, is more valuable than mine or theirs? You're, yeah, you're not better than anyone. Like, just let's all just, you know, recognize There's together. There's a social like, contract here, and yeah. you're just fucking it up. <laughs> What's your, are you an Enneagram 8? I have never taken the I, Enneagram. I, uh, somebody asked me, I, and I told them that, and they looked at me like I. Well, you're going to get kicked out of progressive Christianity. No, I know. Well, like, I, they looked at me like I was a voyager from, like, uh, like I had been living in a place where there was no internet or contact with the outside world for a long time and had just shown up back up into society. So I am sorry yeah. to everyone listening. I'm sorry. I've disappointed you right now. I mean, I don't really care. Um, I'm a person, <laughs> I'm a personal fan of like 
the there's a different there's a thing called this a theory called the brain-based enneagram or the whole enneagram where you are the theory is you are actually all nine types at once working in different capacities and so this can show you how you function in health and also just like what costs you a lot of energy and so for me my emotions exhausting like I'm talking, and that's also why I have to take care of myself a lot because there's a lot going on. Anyways, that's not the questions either. The fourth question is actually, um, what's one thing that you are really committed to? Just committed to, I, you, you know, you talked about a calling earlier uh, about teaching and I just, I, I'm committed to that. I feel like I've, I've been a teacher for going on over 20 years now. And every time I veer away from it and I, I'm like, I'm going to get a new job and make like more money or I'm going to do this thing and be, you know, uh, not, not teaching and not, uh, trying to convince people or help people understand things, whatever. I just, doesn't matter what I do. I come right back to, to somehow teaching, somehow trying to do things that just open up people's worlds and help them see things in a different way. And, uh, it's not always, you know, successful. It's not always very grandiose, but, um, I just, I feel like that's what I'll do till I die, right? It's just like, I'm committed to like learning and then helping others learn. And that sounds kind of, you know, drab, but. Um, Is it? Yeah. I Well, I don't know. I mean, like there's, you know, I I live out here in, in the Bay Area. There's so many people like in Silicon Valley and startup culture. And they're, you know, and there's like these things all around you that are like, hey, do this and you'll get rich. And, do, and every time I like even step my toe into that, I'm like. Dude, you're like 40. If you were going to be like making money and doing, you know, this stuff, you would have done it already. Because every mm-hmm. time you try it, after like two months, you're like, mm, my soul is like dying and I need to go back to doing things that help people and like are meaningful. Yeah. So Deadass, anytime I've ever tried to make money, I've lost money. And any time I just try to help people, I make a lot of money. And it's like, it's the wildest thing. I'm just like, so that's why I like, I'm big on sliding scales. I'm big on reduced pricing. I'm big on scholarships because I'm just like, I don't, I'm not saying that the universe is providing for me, but I'm just saying that, <laughs> um, last question. <laughs> um, what's one thing, there's the thing about me being a woo-woo person is like, I hate the fact that I am such a mystic sometimes or such like a weird person because I'm just like, I fully believe everything I'm saying. And I just don't want people to think that like, I'm not like a like critical person or that I'm like, I want my feet are firmly on the ground. It's just that my inner world is just huge. Um, anyways, what's one thing you want to do before you die? That's the last question. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know. Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, just one thing. doesn't have to be big. Just something maybe you haven't done before. So I uh, I grew up surfing. Surfing is like one of the things that I do, like in terms of nice. self-care and like not uh, not being in the doom scrolling mode. Like that is the thing for me that, and I'm not like, I'm, like I said, middle-aged at this point, there's no getting better at surfing. It's just a matter of like enjoying it. Fine. And when I was 18, uh, my two friends and I, uh, who I surfed with all the time, we saved all our money and our graduation trip from high school was supposed to be to go to Costa Rica for a week and surf and uh, have a great time. And one of the one of the church moms, as they always do, ruined everything and convinced everybody that going to Costa Rica was like the most dangerous thing in the world and we would be, 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, I know. And, and so all the, you'd be all of this the worst gotcha. that you get somebody pregnant and, and, get, <laughs> and you would all die. We would all end up in a Marxist commune. Um, right. Uh, raising. If all, only, if I only. And so never did it. And so, you know what? I, I'm, I've kind of looked at myself and I'm like, all right, pal, you turned 40 before you're 50. You need to take that trip to Costa Rica with a friend and, uh, and go for it. So that's, I'm going to do that before I die. That I'm going to, I'm saying it on this podcast right now. Mm. The world, the world is listening and now I have to, now I have to do it. Yeah. Here we go. Listen, that's part of like how one of my friends who's just like, I'm going to bike from Seattle to uh, the lowest point in South America. Oh, wow. And he did it. Um, and he told everybody before he quit his job that he was going to do it a year before so that he could start doing it. And then it was coming closer. Didn't practice riding a bike. Didn't just got all the gear and then kind of learned as he went. And I'm just like, I kind of love that. And it also... Great book. It's by Jedediah Jenkins. It's called To Shake the Sleeping Self. So if that's... Um, he was also on the pod. So if you want to go like back in the archives and listen, he's in there. Anyways, um, Brad Onishi, I've had such a good time hanging out with you and getting to know you. And I just love being in your presence. And I hope that we get to do it more, hopefully. I feel the same. Thank, I mean, just thanks for inviting me. I, I know a lot of the stuff I talk about is kind of a bummer, so... Appreciate you having me Oh, I don't think it's a bummer. I think it's um, informative and um, shows me what I do not want, so I know what I do want. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) In the world, not as far as conversation or or, or content. No, I know. (laughs) Um, Tippy's like, Um, are you, Kevin, you just shaded the shit out of him. How dare you? I was going to make um, a joke about I was going to make a joke about how like when I was single and I would date people they'd be like, "Oh, thank you for showing me what I don't want. Now I can go find what." I was going to make a joke on my expense, but anyway. Oh, that's also kind of funny, but also like that's that's dating for you. That's also why that is why people break up with us. <laughs> um and that's it. Anyways, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find your work, your book, the pod, etc.? Yeah, so I'm at Bradley Onishi on Twitter. Uh, Straight White American Jesus is the show. I know that sometimes people find the show and they're like, "What is this Fox News Newsmax MAGA nah. propaganda?" And I and I, I actually get emails from Fox News and the Daily Caller all the time wanting to advertise on the show because they think that's what it is. Um, but no uh, that's the way sh- you should say. No. Hey, this episode is brought to you by Fox News. Um, I'm reading a script and I'm taking their money. Yep, and here it is. I, I, yeah, some people have said to do that, uh, and because uh, they have a lot of money, but and, you know, yeah, you know, having a moral conscience is pretty cool too, you know, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, and You're so, yeah, find the show. Though, so. <laughs> and book is called Preparing for War, and you can pre order it now, and uh, would love to uh, have your support there. And uh, lots of personal stories uh, tell the story of. My first kiss with my ex-wife, which is, you know, juicy tidbit there. And, uh, you know, Bible studies about Revelation and see you at the pole and all kinds of ridiculous things. So anyway. I almost, I thought I put that out of my mind. I forgot about see you at the pole. You're welcome. You're welcome. I thought about, there was someone, like we were, I was talking with one of my friends who does uh, queer youth ministry online. I'm just like, is there a, a, a a way to queer see you at the pole? Where we raise an American, where we raise like a pride flag during Pride Month, like, and then just like we pray for against the violence in the queer community. Like, I feel like that should be a thing. Yeah, 
like LGBTU at the poll or something, or I don't know. That was that oh was my the- god, LGBTCU at the poll. It's just like what's the yeah. C? The C stand for? It says it stands for charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, bitch. <laughs> there, we just created a thing. Okay, we I'm did right. it. All right, all right. It's on the pod. Whoever wants to hit us up, uh, let us know. That was my conversation with Brad Onishi. If you want to get in touch with him, you can go to his website. That's bradonishi.com, as well as his social media, which is Bradley Onishi on Twitter and at BB Onishi on Instagram. Aw, BB Onishi. Yes. Listen, if you want to go hang out with BB Onishi, that's all I'm going to call him now. It's my little BB, Dr. BB Onishi. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop. Brad, thanks for coming on the show. This was a really wonderful time, and I can't wait to read the book when it comes out. And while you're at it, go get the book coming out in January, Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. Again, that's out in January 2023, available for pre-order now. That's it for this week. So once again, a huge thank you to all the amazing humans who are supporting this work through being members of The Crowded Table. The Crowded Table is the online spiritual social club that I help curate alongside some amazing other helpful and talented individuals. So if you are someone who has deconstructed your faith, you're in the middle of deconstructing your faith, you're trying to figure out what's next in the way of spiritual practice, and you just need a safe place to land, The Crowded Table is the place to do that. You can join free for a week for just seven bucks after that. And if it's not something that really like tickles your fancy, you can always cancel your membership. But I promise you, you won't want to do that so if you like this show and you want to support it the best way to do that is to become a monthly supporter at the crowded table or leave me a tip send it to cash app venmo paypal it's all the kevin garcia i i mean honestly i really do appreciate it when people send me cash tips because every little bit helps truthfully i'm an independent creator so thank you thank you to the person who sent me 50 bucks the other day that was really fucking sweet and um i'm gonna take myself out to lunch on you so thank you (laughs) a few times if i'm being honest um that's it so hang out with me be sure to follow me across social media at the kevin garcia and if you haven't already please leave the show a rating on spotify and on apple podcast it really does matter and it really does get in front of other people and if this podcast was helpful you share it with somebody that you know needs to hear it I know this conversation might be difficult or hard, but man, there's some really, really good, there's some gems in this one. Uh, Anyways, let me know on social media what you think about this episode. And until next time, friends, please take your medication, call your person, shake your ass a little bit, eat something delicious, move in a way that feels good, and um, make sure that you, you know, smell the roses. Maybe make yourself a bouquet of flowers. Get out in nature. It's healing, especially as the weather's getting nicer, at least here in Atlanta. I love you, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.